it's, it's Easter Sunday, and there's a little bit of added stress uh, to a pastor and uh, the church on Easter that you want everything to go just perfect. And especially when you get up to preach a sermon, you want it to go just right. And it, you shouldn't feel that way. I've prayed it all, all morning, and then last night, God, I don't need to, to preach a home run sermon. I just need to be faithful to the text. And so I'm going to do my best to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and I know this is not going to be your normal Easter sermon. Most of us, are, our normal Easter sermon would be the resurrection passages in the Bible, and we'd go there and we'd teach those things, and that's okay. I've done those. I've preached about 13 Easter's now. You've hit just about everything. But this passage I want to preach to you today, I've never preached on Easter. I've never preached it before. And some of you may have never heard this before. Uh, this is the next passage in line in Matthew. I think God has lined it up perfectly for us here today. I think you'll see that we're going to talk about the resurrection. As Jesus here in Matthew 22 uh, gets asked a question about the, about, about the resurrection, about the afterlife. What's it going to be like? Is there even an afterlife? So we get to hear Jesus answer that question. And what I want to title the sermon today, and we get a glimpse of it, is life after death. Jesus is going to answer questions for us today about life after death. Is there life after death, and what is life after death like? So I want us to, to study this passage today, and I titled the sermon again, Life After Death. So let's stand together, and we'll look at this passage. Matthew chapter 22. I want to read to you verses 23 through 33, and I like this. We stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, because there's only one perfect part of a service any Sunday that we ever have, and that is the reading of the Word of God. So we stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 22, starting in verse 23, it says, In the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up a seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also. And the third, all the way unto the seventh. That's a lot. And the last of all the women died also. The woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, it knocked them off their feet. I'll say it that way. They were astonished at his doctrine amazed at what he said. So we're going to pray and we're going to study this. I think he gives us a wonderful glimpse at what life after death is like. So let's pray together and we'll study this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the perfection of it. It is a perfect, inerrant, infallible word. We trust it. We rely on it. We read it. We preach it. We apply it. We do everything that we do because your word says so. So God, help me to be faithful to this text today. I'm not going to try to hit a home run, God. I, that's not my goal here. My goal is to preach this text and to honor our crucified and risen Lord. To show the people here today that we have a God of the living and not of the dead. And we need to hear this. 
So teach us these things today. Help me help us, God. Help us have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us today through your Word. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to ask you a big question as we get started here this morning. It is a, well, not, maybe not even a big question. It may be the, the biggest question that has ever been asked. And that question is, what happens when we die? What happens, and, and I know you've, you've seen people die. You know people that have died, and you maybe have been with people that have died, and you you've sit there in the hospital room or maybe your own house with them, and they've, they've passed away, they've closed their eyes, they've taken their, their last breath, and they've passed from this life into the next life. And the question is, when they passed away, when they died and took their last breath, and they closed their eyes here, what happened to them? Where did they go? What is life after death like? Is there even a life after death? It's mysterious. It's scary. It's unknown. I think everybody here is curious to know what happens when we die. John MacArthur says every culture in the history of the world has a belief on the afterlife, what it's going to be like. And I read in a commentary this week of some of these beliefs. You guys are going to find some of these fascinating. We all have different ideas of what happens when we die. Here's some throughout history. The Egyptians believed that as you died, you had to get on a boat and travel across a river to the other side. So they would bury their pharaohs with a boat so they could get to the other side. If you didn't have a boat, you weren't going anywhere. You were stuck. You were in limbo. That's the Egyptians. The Greeks would put a silver coin on your mouth or your eyes because you had to pay a toll to get across the river. So you had, to, you had to give some money as you crossed over. And if you didn't have that money, you didn't make it to the other side. Indians, I like this one, they buried their dead with a horse and a bow and arrow. <laughs> Poor horse. They believed the afterlife was full of hunting grounds and you had to have a weapon and a horse to go riding around on. The Vikings, I like this one too, believed that, that the afterlife was full of war every day, all day. And you would, you would go and fight a war, and, and as the, the day ended, the, the dead would rise and the injured would be healed, and you'd spend the rest of that evening drinking and eating and being merry, and then the next morning it all started over. You spent the entire afterlife fighting each other. And I think today there's a lot of crazy beliefs out there, even among Christians, about what it's like to, in, in the afterlife. There's some even today that, that's pretty crazy, that, that believes there's ghosts, that we don't pass, that we may get stuck here at some point. Now, some people believe, Catholics believe in a purgatory, that you could be uh, in, in between uh, uh, alive and, and being in heaven, and you have to stay in a, in a certain state for a little while until you get to the other side, maybe pay off some sins that you had as you died. Maybe even there's some pretty common ideas in, in church here today. I, I hear it all the time. Different ideas about what life after death is like. So you're sitting there saying, there's all these ideas, all this stuff going on. Wouldn't it be great if we knew somebody who went into the afterlife, who died and came back? Wouldn't that be nice? So we could ask him, say, hey, what, what really happens when we die? You, do you guys know anybody like that? Is there anybody that you know in the history of the world who's ever been there and came back and could tell us what it's like? That's why we celebrate Easter today. We know somebody who, who died and, and was risen again on the third day. And we can ask him, Jesus, what is the afterlife like? And that's exactly what they're doing here. I love that. We can open our Bibles and find the answer from Jesus himself. 
Because in this passage that we've been studying, and, and we've been going through Matthew for quite a while now, but this is the last week in the life of Jesus. He is days away from dying and being buried and risen again. This could be maybe uh, maybe maybe just a day or so from actually dying. It's, it's Tuesday. Most people say it's Tuesday of the Passion Week. And these people have been coming to him, the, the, the scribes and the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees and the, the Herodians. One group after the other has been coming to Jesus and giving him a gospel you question they've been trying to catch him up they've been they've been trying to trip him up it's been a stump the savior uh, game that they've been playing with him let's give him the hardest question that we can find and it wasn't to get an answer it was to make him look foolish that's what they were after just to make jesus look bad they were after maybe if he said something bad he they could discredit him if he said something bad it could end up getting him killed and here we are, and it's going to be, and we're going to cover several other questions as we go through uh, in the next coming weeks. But here today, we've got a question from another group. It's their turn, and they come to Jesus, and the question is, you see that, about the resurrection. What is life after death like? Is there life after death? If so, what is it like? And this is a big question for me, and maybe for you, because this question is going to answer for me today, will I know Steph when I get to heaven? I asked Steph that question on the, we was riding down the road going to pound yesterday. And I said, do you think me and you will know each other in heaven? She knew I was trying. I was, I was getting her a gotcha question. It's like they're doing her. And she's like, what are you asking? And that's important. She said till death do his part. Is she, does she want to be apart from me after death? Does she want no more of Josh in heaven? Or maybe she wants to be with me throughout all eternity. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we didn't get into, into, the, into her thoughts there. This is a big question. Not only is there life after death, but what is it like? Will we know each other? Will we know our kids? Will we know our wives? Will we know your husbands? What is life after death like? And Jesus is going to answer this. I, and I think it, I know it is. It's a perfect answer. They're throwing a gotcha question. They're trying to, to stump him. And every time they throw this at him, he's got the perfect answer. Because he's the perfect savior. He's the perfect man. He knows it all. He's never caught off guard. And he's going to give us today the perfect answer on life after death. So let, let's look at this. And, I, and I've broken it down into, into three points so we can just kind of work our way through this passage. And I, and I want to show you the first point there in verse 23. I want to show you the, the silly question that they ask. The silly question. And, and it is a silly question. I asked my kids this question earlier in the week. I like to, to preach my sermon to them before I get up here to you. So I asked them this silly question. And they looked at me like I was a fool for asking this. Why would you even ask that, Dad? That's, that's silly. So let's look at it. The silly question. Verse 23. The same day came to him this group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of the power groups in Israel at that time. They were elites. They were rich. They were powerful. They were in control. They were part of the Sanhedrin. It was like our Congress and you have a, a power grab, okay? Right now, the Democrats are in control and they can do whatever they want to do and the Republicans are in the, the minority. In that time, it was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they were, whoever was in control of the, the, the Sanhedrin would, would have the power. This group had the power. They were the, the Sadducees. And look, look what they believed. They say that there is no resurrection. They didn't believe that there was life after death. They thought now was the only thing that mattered. 
They, 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 they believed there was no hell below us and no, no heaven above us. They, they thought that now was, was it. You, you live now and, and, and then when you die, it's over and it's gone. You're done. You're, you, you're no longer in existence. They didn't believe in an afterlife. No reward. No judgment. Acts 23 says they not only didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. I've heard everybody, maybe you've heard it, that if you want to, if you want to really remember what the Sadducees remember, what they believed, that you would see that they believed in no supernatural, no resurrection, no hope. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> they were miserable. They had, they had nothing to look forward to. And, and that's where a lot of people are in our world today. They're so miserable. They're, they're mad all the time because they are people of no hope. They are sad, you see. And they are so miserable. I like this. Here, the Sadducees are so miserable, so hopeless, that they want to make everybody else that way too. Is there not people like that in our culture? There's people like that in churches. <laughs> I've seen it. I'm a happy guy. I'm joyful. There's people in churches like, ah, I'm going to have to bring him down a notch. He's just too happy. There's people like that in the world. And if something good happens, and it's like, wah, wah, you know. Let's bring them down. Let's make them as miserable and as hopeless as we are. So that's what they're doing. They're coming to Jesus, and they don't believe in the resurrection, and they want to spend their entire life attacking people who do believe in the resurrection. That's miserable. They know Jesus believes in the resurrection. They know He teaches it. They know He even said, I am the resurrection and the life. So they come to Him to, to attack Him and make Him look like a fool. Embarrassing. Laugh at Him. That's what they're doing. This is mocking Jesus. And they come to Him and, and this is what they ask. Master. <laughs> and that's just condescending. Master. You can see it in their faces. <laughs> you, you think you're a teacher. And they quote Deuteronomy. They quote Scripture to Him. And they say, look, look what it says. Didn't, didn't, didn't Moses say... That if a man dies and has no children, then his brother comes in and marries his wife so that he'll have a seed for his brother. You say, well, what's this? It's an Old Testament law. And it was a very honorable thing that, that if your brother had a wife and they had no children and the brother died, that the next in line would step up and say, hey, I got this for you. I'll marry her and I'll have a child in your name so that the name will continue. It's an honorable thing to do. I'm going to carry on the family name and I'm going to protect this woman who had nobody to take care of her. So they say, is this not the law? Is this not how, how things work? So they're taking a verse and they're using it and abusing it and twisting it so they can make Jesus look bad. You, you with me on that? That's what they're doing. So then they say, well, what happens if this is the case? Look, And then they bring up this hypothetical situation. Watch this. So now, and this isn't a real thing. It's, it's fake. Now. You say you believe in the resurrection. Let's see if this happens. Let's say there were seven brothers. And the first, when he got married and, and, and had a wife, and he, he died. And having no issue, left unto his wife his brother. So there's, and I told my kids this. I said, let, let, let's work our way through this because they go all the way through seven. There's seven brothers. And one brother marries this woman, and then he dies. And then the second brother says, okay, I got this. And then he dies. I don't know what's wrong with this woman, but she, they just keep on dropping like flies. I heard somebody say she loved him to death. <laughs> you get to about the sixth or seventh man and you're like, I ain't marrying this woman. Something's wrong here. But I, I said that to my kids. I mean, it's Steph and I was sitting around in the living room. And I said, kids, listen to this. Let's say I die. 
And your mother marries uh, another man. No, 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 she'll never do that. <laughs> and I said, then he dies. And they're all going, well, that's weird, you know. And then, well, okay, and I'm sitting here, I'm holding up my fingers. I said, I've died, and then the next one died. And then she says, okay, I, I need a man. <laughs> and so another one dies. And I'm sitting there thinking, she better marry men just like me. So it's okay, they just keep on going. And then there, there's three, and then there's, I said, and then, then he dies. And the kids are like, Dad, come on. That's never going to happen. And I said, okay, there, there's four now. And they're wanting me to stop. And, and that's what this is. It's just silly. It's outrageous. And my kids knew it. At four. I said, okay, now he dies. And she marries another. Stop, Dad. And then he dies, and she marries another. And then he dies, and they're like, Dad, stop it. We're trying to watch something on TV. <laughs> what is this, Dad? And we're at six, and I said, okay. And then he dies. And, she mar- and then they're sitting there thinking, well, Mom's killing these guys. <laughs> because none of them could live up to the first one. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. And then the seventh dies. Okay? And then Steph finally dies. <laughs> and I'm just presenting to you a serious, silly, outrageous thing that we should laugh at. And I looked at him and I said, well, when we all get to heaven, Isaiah said, were they all saved? <laughs> yeah, let's say all of them are saved. And they get to heaven. I said, kids, who's going to be mom's husband? And he's like, <laughs> and Gracie spoke up and said, you will be. <laughs> Those other guys don't count. And I said, why? And she said, you're the first <laughs> and the best. <laughs> and I said, amen. And we, we went on. <laughs> but do you see what they're doing here? Creating a ridiculous scenario, trying to trap Jesus. What they're doing is it's very condescending. How's that going to work, Jesus? You say there's an afterlife. Well, what ha- what, what's heaven going to be like then? If there's seven of them and, and there's a wife, will that just be uh, an eternity of awkward family pictures? <laughs> you know, seven husbands and the wife in the middle? What's that going to be like? And what they're doing here is they're saying, you, do you see how ridiculous this is? Do you see only a fool would believe in, in heaven? That's what they're doing here. They're, they're making fun of him. To believe in life after death is the craziest thing we've ever heard. It's a laughing matter for you to believe this. It's a gotcha question that they thought nobody had an answer for. That nobody could solve. They're trying to, to outsmart Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus sitting there thinking, I, I don't have. And maybe they, the, the Sadducees had asked the Pharisees that, and the Pharisees have been like, We don't know. And they, they, they walk around like nobody knows how to answer that question, so heaven isn't real. So they bring that to Jesus. And this is, this is their one shot. This is the, the best question that they have. I mean, they didn't ask a little bitty question. They, they brought out the big gun for Jesus and said, answer this, big boy. And if Jesus can't answer this, I want you to understand this. If he can't answer this, and they're right and there's no resurrection, then we are hopeless. And our faith is in vain, our Bible isn't true, and none of us have a reunion with any of our loved ones when we die. So a lot rides on Jesus answering this question. This silly question that they give him 
All our hope and eternity is riding on him giving us the right answer. If he looks at them and says, you're right, it's crazy. Then we might as well all just leave here today. But that's not Jesus. So we go from the silly question to the Savior's answer. Now watch this. His answer is perfect. It's brilliant. Jesus looks at him, and I want to spend just a few minutes on this answer that he gives. Jesus answered in verse 29, and he said unto them, You guys are dead wrong. <laughs> That's Josh's way of saying it. You do err. You're wrong. That word err means you've been led astray. You're out in left field somewhere. I was watching a Little League baseball game Friday night. And there's always, maybe one of my kids just get distracted and they <laughs> not paying attention. Might have been Christian. I'm not saying it was. Just been there all night long and he's out there just kicking dirt. Just out in left field somewhere. Not paying attention at all. That's what this is saying. You guys are just out there somewhere and I don't even know what you're thinking. He says, you guys are in error. He would look at him and say, you know, all beliefs about the afterlife are equally good and you could be right and I could be right. Jesus looks at him and says, you guys are wrong. It's okay in our world to say somebody's wrong. Amen. Jesus says, you're wrong on this. You've been led astray. You're out in, in left field. And he says, here's where you're wrong. Well, I love this. This is where we all go wrong. Watch what he says. You're wrong because you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You say, what does that mean? You don't know the Scriptures. He says, you've read it, but you don't know it. You've missed this. They knew just enough to be dangerous. And he says, you've, you've, you've missed it. You guys have been reading the Old Testament. You, you, you know it uh, front and back. You know it upside down and inside out. You can quote it. But you don't know it. You're missing it. You're missing the, the whole point of it all. You're blind. The, all the Old Testament speaks of a, of a resurrection and, and you're missing it. That's my, going to be my new comment on Facebook for everything I see that's unbiblical. You do err in that you don't know the Scriptures. Typing that thing up. That's where all of us go astray. And all of our beliefs and all of our behavior is that we don't know the Scriptures. So he says, you guys don't know. You're, you're missing it. You're blind. It's all there. Pay attention. And then he says, and you don't know the power of God. Their God wasn't big enough. Their God was puny. They believed in a God that create, could create the, the universe in six days and rest on the seventh. They believed in a God who could send the plagues to get, get His people out of Egypt. They believed in a God who could part the Red Sea with His, His servant holding up a staff. They believed in a God who could get them to walk across. They believed in a God who could send manna down from heaven, but they didn't believe in a God who could raise the dead. Their God wasn't powerful enough to send somebody to heaven. They were wrong because they didn't have a God that was powerful enough to do what He said He could do. Your God is too small. May it never be said of us in this church that our God is too small. We have a God, and I just wrote these down, who can overcome any difficulty He wants to overcome. We have a God who can answer any prayer you can give Him. We have a God who can convert all of His enemies. We have a God who can raise the dead. 
We have a big God and an open Bible. That's the definition of our church. May it be said of us, they open the Bible and they preach a big old God. Our God's a big God. I'm going to preach on that next week. I was iffy on it until right now. I'm preaching on a big God next week. I'm preaching on a big God today. A God of the living, not of the dead. Their God wasn't powerful enough to raise the dead. And Jesus now corrects them. And He corrects them in those two ways. And I'm going to get through this. I told Brandon, I said, I'm going to preach to the big crowd today. They're ready to go and eat. So I'm going to preach for 45 minutes. <laughs> he said, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so he corrects them here. Well, you, you, I just want you to see what he does. He says, you're an error. You're, you're mistaken. You're dead wrong. You don't know the scriptures. And you don't believe in the power of God. And then in the next three, two verses, three verses, he corrects them in the, both of those ways. And he starts with, one at a time, here's why you're wrong in the power of God. And watch what he says. You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Verse 30. For in the resurrection, now he shows them the power of God. For in the resurrection, and I love that statement, there is a resurrection. There is an afterlife. Jesus doesn't defend it. He speaks of it as if it is a fact. He don't have to defend it. It's true. I don't have to defend the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said that. I don't have to defend the Bible. It's like trying to defend a lion. Do you think I need to defend a lion? I just need to let it loose and let it attack. It'll defend itself. So he just, he just says, there is a resurrection. Guys, there is an afterlife. Everybody in here needs to know that. There will be an afterlife for every single one of us. Death isn't the end. It's not the last chapter. Every man, woman, and child will spend an eternity somewhere. There is a resurrection. He says that there. For in the resurrection. And then he says, there's three truths here. There is a resurrection. And there is no marriage in the resurrection. No marriage in the afterlife. You said, show me that, Josh. I want to be faithful to the text. For in the resurrection, there's no marriage. I mean, this it couldn't be any more clear. They neither marry, nor will there, there's no marriage, and there's going to be no weddings. There's going to be no giving in marriage. Do you see that? There's, there's no marriage or giving in marriage. Marriage is, an, is a here and now thing. Marriage is an earthly thing. It's a temporal thing. God gave us marriage, and I love marriage, and God loves marriage. And I think that marriage may be God's greatest grace other than salvation itself. I love it. You guys know I love it. I love being married. I love having kids. <laughs> I love having a family. There's nothing in the world like it. Man. I sit around my living room sometimes and I'll do a head count, make sure all, all five of my kids are there and Steph's there and the dog's there. And I'll, I'll sit there and I don't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, God, this is the greatest thing in the world. It's great. And He, and he gives us that so we can procreate and have more people. And humanity can move along. He gave me a wife because I couldn't make it without her. He gave me a wife because she, she's like my, I don't want to say she's like my right arm. She's like my right arm, my left arm, and both legs. I can't get around without her. I mean, I look over there and make, just to make sure she's with me all the time. Do I, am I forgetting anything? Everywhere we go, she's with me. And you know what? I'm her right arm, left arm, and both legs. 
We couldn't make it without each other. God has given us helpmates here. Marriage is an amazing thing here. But it won't be there. He says marriage won't be there. There'll be no need for it there. We don't have to procreate. There won't be no more people added there. I won't need a helpmate there. I won't get to heaven and, and, and be asked a question and say, Steph, what do you think? Steph, I forgot something. Did you bring this? <laughs> Will you go back and get that for me? I won't need it there. You won't need it there. There will be no exclusive relationships there. There will be no cliques there. There will be no, and I don't want to get myself in trouble, but there will be no Baptists over here and <laughs> Presbyterians over here. and you know, There won't be no, I said it the other night in the sermon, there won't be a smoking section over here for Charles Spurgeon and a non-smoking for people who didn't smoke. There won't be a pound group over here. You know, I, I, sometimes I wish there would be, but there won't be a pound group over here because I, I think that would be the best part of heaven. And a big stone group over here and an and a Appalachian bulldog group over here and they're wearing blue and yellow. And the J.J. Kelly Indians wave. <laughs> there won't be that here. There won't be no best friends. There won't be no special relationship with this one or with that one. The only special relationship that any of us will have is with Christ himself. He'll, he is my help. He is what completes me. He's the focus of heaven. He's the one we're there for. We won't need to be married there. There's no marriage or giving in marriage there. The main relationship is with Christ. So the answer is, and he answers the question with that, who will that lady be married to? Nobody. That's the answer. And then he says, so I've given you a couple truths here, and, I, and I've got to move on. There is a resurrection, but there's no marriage in the resurrection, and there will be a change in the resurrection. Because here's where he says this. He, he goes on to explain it. Well, how's that going to work? How in the world can you have that going on in heaven? You'll you have to have your memories wiped. Because you, you, know, you know that pound people can't get along with J.J. Kelly people. I mean, you know, you, you know that. Presbyterians? Do you know that they... Sprinkle babies? We're going to hang out over here away from those sprinklers. We're donkers. They're sprinklers. Over here whispering about them. And you know, how's a, how's a wife going to sit there and, and if she knows all seven of her husbands and the husbands are going to sit there and say, I was better than that guy was. She's talking to him, not me. That happens in church. That pastor spent more time over there than he did over here. I bet you he went on vacation with that one and not me. So how, how, how can all that how, how can all that go on there? Our memories are going to have to be wiped. Where we're just have no memories of, of earth at all, no memories of relationships at all, and and we, we it's just going to be mindless robots walking around in heaven. And Jesus says, No, 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 no. That's where you're missing on the power of God. We have a God who can take care of all that. Amen. Watch this. He says, For we'll be like the angels. You see that? but are like the angels of God in heaven. This is a good Easter sermon. It'll be like the, not, we won't be angels. So don't say that, it, don't think that you're going to die and have wings. He's gained his wings. No, we're not, we're not angels. I don't get a harp. I'm not going to be on a cloud. 
And I won't be wearing a diaper. I'm not going to be an angel. And that's what everybody thinks. That's a picture that they get. He says, no, you'll be like angels in how you relate to one another. Angels don't have spouses. Angels don't have best friends. Angels are in heaven solely to worship and serve Jesus Christ. We'll be like the angels in heaven. Heaven won't be like earth. Heaven is more than a change of address. God is powerful enough to change everything in heaven to make it perfect. I love that. I will be perfect in heaven. You will be perfect in heaven. Which means I won't have any animosity towards those J.J. Kelly Indians at all. (laughs) At all. (laughs) He's going to make me perfect. I won't have any animosity towards anybody who ever wronged me in heaven. You with me on that? Paul held the jackets of the men who stoned Stephen. You with me? And he, and he, he probably cheered it on. Yeah, hit him again! But when Paul died, Stephen cheered for him as he entered heaven. Amen. No animosity. No hatred. Everybody getting along. Because I'm perfect and y'all perfect. Amen. God's powerful enough to do that. We'll get along. I won't worry about how wrong the Presbyterians are on Sprinkling. I'll get along. Because we're all saved by grace. And we're all there because of the blood. We're all there to honor Christ. We're made perfect. 1 Corinthians 15 says, They'll not all sleep, but they'll all be changed. That the corruptible will put on incorruption, and the mortal will put on immortality. We will be completely changed. We'll be different. I'll be perfect. So that I can get along with Steph. I, and I can get along if I die before she does with every husband that she marries after me. And there won't be a drop of jealousy at all. You with me on that? I'll be so perfect that I won't sit there and say, I'm bigger than he is. <laughs> I was better than he was. No. He'll make me perfect. I'll have a perfect mind and a perfect attitude and a perfect heart. And you will be too. And we'll all get along. God is powerful enough to do that. Watch this. It will be perfect. 1 Corinthians 2 says, And eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. So I'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. And our relationships will be perfect. I'll know. I want to state this clear. I'll know Steph. She'll know me. I'll know her better than then I know her right now. And I'll get along with her, and I'll get along with you, and you'll know me, and I'll know you. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with, with Moses, and, and they knew who they were. You'll be known as you, as you are. We'll know each other with a, with a greater knowledge. I'll love Steph with a greater love then than I even have now. 10,000 times 10,000 of love for her there. More so than even now. Wow. Get this. Heaven will be more, not less. Heaven will be better, not worse. You say, I don't see how in the world that's going to take place. I'm not buying what you're selling, Josh. 
then I say to you, your God is too small. My God is big enough to make heaven perfect for all of us. John Calvin said the resurrection is far beyond the grasp of human sense. We cannot believe it until our minds know the unlimited power of Almighty God. Correction number two. I've got to move on. So there he corrected the power of God. You, you don't believe that God's powerful enough to make heaven better than you could ever imagine? Heaven is not like earth. It's so much better than earth. And then he says, correction number two. You, I want you to see how he's laid this out. He said, you guys are wrong on the scriptures and the power of God. And then he corrects them on the power of God. And now he corrects them on the, the scriptures. Look what he says. So it's touching the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read? Let me give you a scripture here. And watch this. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the rest of it. They thought the rest of it was just, it was just stories. It was just songs in the Psalms and wisdom in the, in the Proverbs and, and the prophets. We don't know what they were saying. And we only believe in the first five books of the Bible. And the Sadducees were so sad, you see, that they said the first five books of the Bible didn't even talk about a resurrection or an afterlife. So Jesus, he can't use the Psalms. He can't use the Proverbs. He could if he wanted to. But he's going to take one of their books and prove to them that the resurrection's real. I love how Jesus does this. Watch what he says. Just touching the resurrection, have you not read? I love that. It's like asking Dr. Fauci if he's ever read a medical book. <laughs> Whether you think he has or not, I don't know. But Because they were experts of the, of the Bible. Experts of, of the first five books of the Bible. Have you not read that which is spoken unto you by God, saying, and then they quote Exodus chapter 3, one of their favorite passages. You're so blind you missed it even in the most basic. God teaches the resurrection in Exodus 3. Watch what, Moses in the, in the burning bush, that's what the Exodus 3 is. Where God introduced himself, watch this, and said, I am... Jesus destroys their argument with two words. I am. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So you say, what does that mean? He builds his whole case on two words. I am. Exodus 3, you get this. In Exodus 3, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all dead. Thousands of years dead. And when God spoke to Moses, he said, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am currently and presently in this time their God. Which means to you they may be dead in Exodus 3. Moses, they're dead to you, but they are alive to me. So Jesus takes their passage using their text, one of their favorite texts, and says, God is a God not of dead men, but a God of living men. God doesn't abandon men when they die. The covenant doesn't end. The covenant God made with Abraham didn't end when he died. It continues in heaven where God continues to be their God. They may be dead here, but they're more alive in heaven than they've ever been. 
It's not I'll be your God until you no longer exist. It's I'll be your God now and throughout all eternity. I am, and it's those two words, it's not I was or I will be, it is I am right now their God and will always be their God. So get this, when you die, God will still be your God. You'll be with Him. It's not that you no longer exist. It's not that there's no afterlife. It's not that there's no resurrection. There is a resurrection and you will be, when you close your eyes, with God more alive then than even now. D.L. Moody said this. I love it. Stood up before his church and he said, Someday you're going to hear that D.L. Moody died. You're going to read his obituary in the newspaper. He said, but I don't want you to believe a single word of it. And they're all, what are you you, you talking about? He said, because I shall be more alive in that moment than I am standing before you right now. Wow. Jesus just totally, completely destroys their entire argument in three verses. Really with two words. I am. Masterful. Destroys a lot of bad views on, the, on heaven. I just corrected maybe some of you. You know, you corrected the Islam. You know what they believe? You, you, you die a martyr, you get 72 virgins. It's nonsense. Crazy talk. That's right. Amen. I, I looked it up last night. The, the, the Mormons believe in, a, in an eternal marriage. Right. No. Based on three verses that Jesus teaches here, He gives us a, a beautiful look. Of what the afterlife will be. Amen. I mean, this, is, this is incredible. Destroying a lot of bad views out there. Masterful. He's never caught off guard. So that was the Savior's answer. And third, and I'll close. The stunned reaction. <laughs> Can you imagine them though? I mean, just, just think about it. I mean, they, we, we had the question on, on government, on, on whether you should pay your taxes or not, when the, the Herodians and the, the Pharisees came to him, and they had their turn. It's like, it's like they threw their question at him. Should, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus just knocked it out of the park, said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And they were all like, we, 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 we didn't see that coming. <laughs> and then the, the sad, you see, stand up and say, you guys, you ain't got nothing. We got a question. Seven brothers, one wife. Here you go, Jesus. <laughs> and in three verses, Jesus does and knocks it out of the park. Those arrogant guys standing there laughing at Jesus. <laughs> you thinking that you believe in the afterlife? You believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die? <laughs> and Jesus just boom, using their own scriptures against them. Don't you think they were stunned? Look at verse 33, and I'll close. And when the multitude heard this, they were... <laughs> it flipped their wigs. I don't know if they wore wigs, but if they, had, if they did, it would flip them. They were astonished at His doctrine. They were wild. They were, they, were, they were floored. Their jaws hit the ground. It shows that they had taken their, their best shot at Jesus. I said this earlier, early on, but when they approached Jesus, they, they didn't say, well, we're going to start small. We're going to bring our, our best, our A game at Jesus here. This is the unanswerable question. Nobody had ever been able to, to, to answer this for them. And they say, here you go, Jesus. They were 100% sure that this would get him. 
They thought it would destroy his belief in the resurrection. And it backfired completely. And they're now silenced with no more argument to give. They were astonished at what he just taught them. Now watch this. I I don't don't want to get into it, but look at at the next passage, verse 34. The Pharisees heard that he'd put the Sadducees to silence. (laughs) The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like each other. The Pharisees were sitting back there because, you know, I said that. Pharisees don't like the Sadducees. The Sadducees don't like the Pharisees, but they got along because they both hated Jesus. The Pharisees are sitting there watching the Sadducees, and they're saying, I hope hope they they, they get him because we want him dead. And they said, he's he's just put the Sadducees to silence. He just answered a question that we couldn't answer. And watch what they do next. So they gathered together. Then one of them went and got a lawyer. (laughs) They just keep on bringing people to him. And when they can't stump him, they decide to kill him. Jesus just keeps on knocking it out of the park. So I want you to think about it. What did Jesus just teach us here? Number one, there is life after death. No doubt about it. Take it to the bank. It's biblical, believe it or not. It's taught from Genesis to Revelation. There is a life after death. For every single one of us, saved or not saved, we're all going to live after we die. You say, I don't believe it. Well, just turn over with me a couple chapters. Matthew 28. Because if you don't believe me, you believe the one who died and came back? I want to read this just because it's Easter. Matthew 28, verse 1. And in the end, as you're turning there, it's just we'll probably get to this passage in about a year. That's my plan. I want to preach the resurrection in Matthew 28 next Easter. Like Brandon said, good luck. A few chapters later, you say, we don't believe what he says. That's just Jesus' opinion. You know, the Egyptians had their opinion. The Greeks had their opinion. Put coins in their eyes. The Indians had theirs, buried with with horses. The Vikings, you know, having war in heaven. They had their opinion. That's just Jesus' opinion. I won't believe anybody until they have died and come back to tell us what it's like. Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified, but he is not here. For he is risen, as he, sa- as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is alive. So not only do we know there will be a resurrection, it's guaranteed because there was a resurrection. I love that. 1 Corinthians 15 said he was seen of 500 people at once, and the apostles and others. 1 Corinthians 15 says, but now, that's Paul, Christ is risen from the dead. Definitive. He's risen from the dead. He is living proof that every single one of us will be alive after we die. 
So there will be life after death. And the question isn't, will there be life after death? The question is, where will you be? That's the question. There is life after death for every single one of us. When you're on your deathbed and you close your eyes and you take your last breath, you will open your eyes and you will go one of two places. That's definitive. You will either go to heaven and be with Christ. You see, the Bible don't talk a whole lot about what heaven is like in detail. The Bible mainly states that heaven is Jesus Christ. Understand this. We all have our wants of heaven. And not all of our wants are what everybody else's wants are. Some of you sitting there saying, well, I wanted to be married in heaven. Well, you know there's other Christians that don't want to be married in heaven. Right? I mean, that's just some people say, I want to fish all the time in heaven. If, if I don't want to fish in heaven. Apparently, when I, when I pretend to cast a, a, a fishing line, I do it wrong, I've been told. Josh, do it different. I don't want to fish in heaven. You say, well, I, I want to I wanna be you know, doing, I want to play baseball in heaven, the field of dreams. Well, I don't like baseball. You know, there's one thing in heaven that every single one of us will love in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't love Him here, you're going to hate heaven. Okay, no, you just aim into that. There's not going to be some kind of change where you don't, where you don't love Jesus here, and all of a sudden you're going to die, and your, your main attraction in heaven is Jesus Christ. That's why churches today, and I, I, ran, I'm, I said I was going to make 45 minutes, it ain't going to happen. That's why churches today need to make the main attraction Jesus Christ. Because the main attraction in heaven is Jesus Christ. Preach Christ and Him crucified. Because in heaven, turn to Revelation, and it is the revealing, not of the end time scenarios, it is the revealing of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Preach Christ. He is what heaven's all about. I want, I want to, to be with Steph in heaven. I want to be with my kids in heaven. I want to be with you in heaven. You might not want to be with me, but you, I want to be with you. But primarily, I want to be with Christ. So when you die, it'll be in heaven with Christ or in hell, separated from each other forever. There'll be a reunion in heaven. We'll have each other and we'll have Christ. You go to hell. And from the picture it, t- it gives us in the Bible, it's weeping, gnashing of teeth, darkness, even the casting or falling. And there's no party in heaven. I've heard people say that. Oh, they're going to hell and they're going to party and they're going to rock and roll. And... No, 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 no. No. The picture that I've seen painted is darkness, fire, falling, loneliness, regret. You know when your mind understands I've had a chance and didn't take it. I had an opportunity. The door was open and now it's closed. And now the wrath of God is upon me throughout all eternity. Understand that. It's heaven with Jesus or hell and punishment. Wow. So where will you stand? It's one or the other and there are no second chances. No. No, I should have. I could have. I I can't now. So I say at the end of this sermon, take careful preparation. I wrote that down. I wrote it down twice. 
Take careful preparation for life after death. We're planning on a trip. We're going to go in September. We're going to get on a train. And we're going to ride from Roanoke to Boston. Me and my family. And it's going to be the craziest couple days that you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) And Steph, with her, she's my right arm, my left arm, both my legs. Can't make it without her. We booked those tickets last week, and she's already packing bags. I mean, Ian said it yesterday. Ian's going with us. Ian said, I'm going to unpack right now. This is September. He said, Josh, why are you telling us this? We've got a bigger trip we're going to take. Steph's preparing, you know, May, June, July, August, September. Five months out. And she's already planning what she's going to pack for baby Hallie and for big old Joshy. (laughs) And I'm not joking. (laughs) And we're going on a trip for five days. Can you imagine all of us going on a trip for eternity? And we don't take the time now to say, I need to be prepared for that. Hmm. I say this. Don't be wrong on it. Jesus said you err because you don't know the scriptures and the power of God. I hope you don't err because you ain't right with God. I, I read a story this week about a, a bishop, a, a priest, uh, about to die. And he had given his entire life to the priesthood to uh, a system of belief that thinks you've got to work your way to heaven. Wearing these big hats and these long robes and these outfits. And as he's dying, I looked at Steph and I said, he's going to die. And he's going to open up his eyes in eternity. And as he closed them, he's going to think he was right the entire time. And as he opens them, he's going to say, I was way wrong. I could not work my way here. Don't err on this. Don't be wrong on this. Please don't. Take advantage of this opportunity before you today. There are millions of people in the world who don't have the opportunity you're going to get right now. Where I offer you an opportunity to prepare yourself for eternity. The old Puritans used to say that it was the primary job of preachers to prepare their people for eternity. And I want to prepare you for eternity today because there's somebody in this room who's an unbeliever that if they died, they'd open up their eyes in judgment and not in heaven. So I want to offer offer you the opportunity today in this room and in this hour on Easter Sunday to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your afterlife is not about paying your way with a coin It's not about working your way there. It's about what Jesus did for you on that cross and taking your sin and your shame and dying in your place and being buried and risen again on the third day. And now a door of opportunity is open to you to put your faith in Him and believe. And you'll regret it for all eternity 
if you don't do it today. You say, Josh, I got plenty of time. I don't know that you do. None of us know that. Not a one of us know. So what I offer you today is what George Whitfield said many, many, many years ago. And he's, he's one of my favorite preachers in church history. And George Whitfield in the 1700s stood upon a rock in Massachusetts, which is where, where I'm going. And I want to stand on that rock and I want to say these words, even if it's just my kids. He said, I offer you salvation this day. I love that. Yes. That's a preacher of good news. Amen. I offer you salvation this day. Can you imagine that? Standing before a crowd of people like I'm standing before you today. I offer you salvation this day. And then he goes on to say, the door of mercy is not yet shut. What a statement. It's wide open. There does yet remain a sacrifice for sin. All that will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will embrace you in His arms of love if you believe. What a statement. So I stand here today and offer you salvation if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not err on this. Eternity is too long to be wrong. So as I pray right now, I'm not going to do an altar call. I am going to pray for you as you're sitting in your pew. And I want you to pray with me if you don't have the words to say. And then we'll close. Let's pray. Father, I know there's some unbeliever in this room today. This is too large a crowd for there not to be. It could be a young child who's hearing the gospel for the first time. And you are convicting them. And your spirit is moving upon them. You're opening their eyes and you're opening their ears and, and their heart is ready. Or God, it could be an adult in this room who's hearing the gospel maybe for the hundredth time or the thousandth time. And they've never received, they've never believed, but today their eyes have been opened to the truth that if they died, their afterlife would not be wonderful, it would be terrible. It could be anybody, man, woman, child. It could be someone who's been religious their entire lives but never truly believed in the Savior. They've been thinking it's their works. They've been thinking it's their morality. They've been thinking it's a baptism or church attendance. And I don't know who it is or what you're doing. I do know that when your word goes out, that your spirit moves in great power. So God, I ask that in this, in this time, that whoever it is, wherever it is, maybe even online today, maybe online a week from today when somebody comes back to watch this, that you would, by your spirit, open their eyes, please. Change their heart, please. Enable them to believe, please. And God, as, as they have that, I pray that they would just call out, God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. That He paid a price that I could not pay. A debt that I owed that I could not pay. And I put my full faith and trust in Him for life and eternity. It's that simple crying out in faith to Christ. So God, I pray that you do that here today. And I pray for those of us who are already believers that we would take great comfort in this passage. That we have a, a big God who has done big and great things for us. And God, that we would leave here knowing that we serve the God of the living and not of the God of the dead. Thank you for this hour we've spent in your word and with your people. May you have been honored by it. 
And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.